0: Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me today is Morgana. Hello, and that's all the introduction you get for us because you know who we are. And uh, today we're going to talk about science fiction and the other. And uh, we we had to cut it down. We couldn't do all of science fiction because we just don't have that much time. We'd have to be sitting here for a marathon, I don't know five, six hours at least. So we, we cut it down to three pieces of science fiction. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about those very briefly so you know what we're talking about. So the first one is purely literary. There have been no TV shows, movies, uh, streaming shows or anything made out of this, but there should be. So, I'm telling the universe right now that there should be. And it's Lois McMaster Bujold's Vorkosigan Saga. And uh, Morgana, jump in and talk about that. So, essentially,
1: the Vorkozygan Saga is centered around a family um, who is made up that is made up by people from two different worlds because humanity in this, there are no aliens.
0: Which yeah, is that's the big thing about this this little universe here.
1: Yeah, which is something I actually really appreciate. Not that I don't love aliens, because the other two things we're talking about are Babylon 5 and Star Trek. So Lots of aliens. All the alien love. Um, but in this universe, there are no aliens yet. Um, and instead, humanity has spread out in a diaspora from Earth um, using wormhole nexuses to terraform, and settle on tons of different planets and all have developed different planetary cultures. Um, and this is the story of when two planetary cultures collide. And there's, I'm going to sound like this is the Princess Bride, but there's action, there's love, there's adventure, there's war. It's a kissing It's kissing a kissing books. book. It's, yeah. it's there are kissing moments. It is not fully a kissing book, but there are kissing moments. Um, And why I love it and part of why we picked it is A, there are no aliens. Um, So exploring the concept of the other in the Vorkosigan saga is a little bit different than in normal sci-fi. Um, and it's our one of our favorite book series in sci-fi. We're going to just cop to that right now because we're nerds and this is a great book series. Um, And the other reason is because this woman is so good at world building and at questions of how far can we take technology? What are the ethics of technology? She explores scientific ethics, um, governmental ethics and sexual ethics in a really, really well-thought-out, world-built, you know, culturally-specific contexts, and uses all of the different cultures that have settled across the galaxy to discuss interesting topics like gender, war, I already said war, war technology, economics, there's economic ethics in there, too, um and how, how different people interact with each other and the concept of the other as internal in a lot of ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's This is too early. I, we are summing up. There is no time. I do not need to dive <laughs> all the way in and just plunge off. So do you I feel like everybody one, knows Star Trek?
0: Yes. Let me let me just add one thing is not only do the people settle on different worlds, but they adapt themselves physically and genetically to these environments such that they appear to be alien. Well so, one specific world. Well, and the quadi That's true. The quadis. The that's quadis true. are people right. who settled... They're, they're one of the earlier groups of humans, and they settled in a place that had low G or zero G, and they genetically adapted themselves to deal with that by instead of having legs, they have two sets of arms. So where their legs would be, they have a, another set of arms. And, you know, if you saw that, I'm just saying... In the 21st century, if we were, like, you know, driving down the road and we saw a person scrambling about on two sets of arms, we'd probably think they were an alien. Yes. So. And but you're what's right. In, yeah. So what's interesting is these these people called the Quadis uh, just created a culture around their difference to the point where it is so normal for them uh, on four arms, and at low gravity, that they do amazing things. They have they have dance and and music that is amazing that that two armed humans can't do, and it's really really cool. And then there's the other planet, the Setagondens, who are space elves. Sort yeah, of. They they sort of turn they. Their whole culture is about genetic manipulation. And they take it really far. And then there's a third planet, Jackson's Hole. Which is my
1: favorite planet. It's my very favorite planet ever conceived of. Because take the Star Wars concept of the most wretched hive of scum and villainy. Make it an entire planet. And make it run by separate mafia houses.
0: Yep. It's it's uh it's people who specialize in genetic manipulation for hire. So if you can pay them, you can have genetic manipulation done for all sorts of purposes in all sorts of ways, some of which are downright alien. Just honest to God, sounds like aliens. And <laughs> Now that you mentioned Star Wars, we're gonna say why we we're not doing Star Wars in this episode. Because it's not science fiction. Fight me. <laughs> Fight me. It isn't. It's fantasy. It's really cool. Don't get me wrong. But it's over there with Tolkien. It's the other end of Tolkien. It's fantasy with technology, as opposed to high fantasy with magic. Saruman trying to and build technology. There's
1: magic in, in Star Wars. The forces yep, there, there is, is. magic.
0: Yes, don't give me that whole yah yah. It's not magic. It is fight me. And it's cool magic. And Star Wars is awesome.
1: And I don't know if I completely agree with her that it's purely fantasy. I think it's sci-fi and fantasy mixed together beautifully. That's to true. Create its own genre.
0: I just um, think it leans more heavily on fantasy. But yeah, it isn't straight up fantasy. But lots of people like, there's are cloning. Like, yeah, that's true. Lots, but that's, it goes with magic too. So whatever, but it has aliens and it has technology. So it's kind of both. All right. So, but that's why Star Wars isn't in here. It's over in its own category over there. We might talk about it later because there are bits that do impinge on uh, the paranormal and the other, but not today. Today is not that day as Aragorn would say. Um, so Yeah. So there's 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 places in this universe where people are creating life forms not just manipulating human genetics but also other genetics to create essentially alien life forms for fun and profit and art and art and,
1: art. and to improve their species and because why not and
0: that's where that ethics comes back in and, comes back around on the guitar.
1: Yes. And it's, and for the glory of the human race and to advance science and for all of these different reasons. And then they all interact with each other.
0: <laughs> yes. And they are all the other for each other essentially.
1: Yeah. Because these are people from completely different planetary governments who are interacting Like, yeah, it's it's very analogous to it's not really different states interacting with people from other states. It's like different countries. If countries were planets and had to go through a wormhole to talk to the other people. Right, and right. they have a completely different governmental system, and they have a completely different understanding. Like, there's a galactic standard of science, but a lot of planets are better or worse at certain things.
0: Yes, and the the planet that, or the the planetary um, uh, government slash people that the whole thing's named after, the Vorkosigan, that that has to do with Barriar, which was settled originally by Russians, Greeks, French, and the British, and British people, and German people, all mixed together, and their wormhole got destroyed. And so they were cut off for a long time. Now, what happens when you have a group of people Cut off for a long time, and they can't develop technology because all of the metal and stuff that they were like depending on the rest of the colonies for uh, is gone. So what happens? You get Appalachia. Ha! Isn't that fun? Appalachia and and the medieval period and all kinds of the crazy Renaissance,
1: stuff. sort of the Renaissance. They kind of they kind of settled by the time the wormhole another wormhole was found they were in what i would call the early modern period yes basically yes. like there was baroque happening there were very fancy horses and carriages duels were happening they this planet had multiple civil
0: wars um <laughs> they had them for break you know before breakfast i swear Uh, They they were not friendly people. They were very warlike because they hadn't finished terraforming. So they had, you know, very small amounts of resources that they had to then use to survive and thrive.
1: And they settled on a form of government that is very rare in this universe, which is they are an imperium. (laughs) They're (laughs) basically Klingons. Kind of. They're a very warlike, honor-based, vow-based, imperial, and ru- ruled by noble
0: houses in a parliament. And they also have this idea that uh, only the strongest should rule. Yes. And they are also pretty much patriarchal as all get out. Oh, God, yes. Um, and, uh Yeah. So that's who the Vorkosigans are, and interestingly, there are passages in her book where she's describing the Vorkosigan district of this planet, and it sounds exactly like West Virginia, and there's a reason. She's from Columbus. And she used to spend summers in West Virginia. I, and I found that out after I had been reading, you know, the parts that are settled it, or set in the, the Vorkosigan district, which is all mountainous and, you know, very, very isolated. And you have these isolated villages of people and, and they're very mistrustful of, of uh, outsiders. Central authority figures. <laughs> yeah. They don't like authority figures. They bootleg, they do all the things they even have, uh, a, a, Uh, well, they they have distilled alcohol of a non-regulated fashion. So, I was like, wow, this is really like Appalachia. And then I found out she spent summers in West Virginia and went, aha. So, even science fiction writers write what they know. They Um, just change it so that you don't necessarily know where it came from. And... I will say this for Barriar. We've basically
1: described it as a hell pit. Um, it's not. It gets better. Yes, it does.
0: <laughs> part That's of, kind of part of the whole story.
1: That is a huge part of the story. And p- part of why they're very warlike is they modernized when the Satagondins invaded them.
0: And the Satagondins are the guys, are the people who really turned themselves into space elves. and. Do genetic manipulation for the betterment of their people to become the supreme human. Although they don't even really call themselves humans. No, they're their own. They're Setagondans,
1: and everybody else in the universe kind of looks at them like to look upon the the high class women of Setagonda. They hide themselves behind a force screen, and if you see them and you're not Setagondan from the high class, you will burst into tears. They are so beautiful. Yes. Yes. So see, they With are space much- elves. <laughs>
0: they are space elves. <laughs> they're genetically and-
1: engineered space elf people. Queens and kings, and they're described very like Galadriel would have been. Yes. If we- we're going to talk about the crossover between sci-fi and fantasy, we, we do have to admit that there's... There's some elf, elven, there's some elfy stuff about yeah. the Setagondans, and,
0: and they're all about aesthetics and, and all those things. But okay, so that's that's the Vorkosigan saga right there. Um, you got enough of a basis of understanding to get what we're getting at, which is in that universe, the other is other humans, but are they still human? That's one of the questions that you know. Over, I don't know, 20 books goes on. Um, Yeah, how do you define humanity? How... After you've genetically manipulated it to the point where some of them don't even really look quite human anymore. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so... And then the other two uh, bits we're going to talk about, two uh, universes we're going to talk about, will, will be Star Trek which everybody knows. And if you don't, you need to, but there's all kinds of ways you can figure out about star Trek, but everybody knows Mr. Spock, at least. I mean, come on. And you've seen the enterprise. And, uh, you, you know about star Trek, but we're also going to talk about not just television, not just the star Trek series. We're also going to talk about some of the books and here we go, we we have to talk about the Star Trek books because lots of people, lots of, you know, fans of science fiction will look down their noses and be like, Star Trek books are not really science fiction books. They're just, they're like fancy, you know, fanfic. And first off, Star Trek invented fanfic. Fanfic happened because there were only three seasons and people really were into it and so they started writing fanfic that's where slash and fic came from i was about to say and everybody wanted spock and kirk to hook up well not everybody lots of mary sues did not want spock to hook up with kirk because screw kirk they wanted spock but here we are we're 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 talking jargon we're talking nerd jargon of the highest order here because we also picked these because we're nerds. These, these these are our three favorite sci-fi series. <laughs> yes, and we're going to nerd again uh, like we did last week. <laughs> so I, I'm glad you all liked the nerding because you're going to get some more. Uh, but we're going to talk about Star Trek. We're going to talk about Star Trek books, and I'm here to tell you they aren't just a step above fanfic. Some of them are just as good as anything you're going to read from anybody and anywhere else they are still really good and uh particularly one our author we're going to talk about is diane duane and she's written plenty of her own books in her own universes um so we're going to talk about that and then we're going to talk about one that is mostly televised but there are still novelizations and comics just like with star trek and that's babylon five and we talked about it briefly with Saraya. I almost feel like if we're going to talk about it again, we should bring Soraya on, but we're doing this on the fly. So sorry, Soraya, you can come back and we can, you know, have a, a nerd fest with you sometime
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because I know you like it. Uh, Babylon 5 and Star Trek are kind of, I would say they're, they're
1: like cousins. I would say that Star Trek is the ideal and Babylon 5 is the reality.
0: <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes. What would happen? Explain that. Explain that. You know, so, how you wanted Star Trek <clears throat> and you've been reading the novels, but the reality.
1: I have been binge reading the Star Trek novels and rewatching. I've re-watched the entire original series. I've re-watched all of The Next Generation. I am currently halfway through the first season of Deep Space Nine and after I finished Deep Space Nine I'm moving on to Voyager and I've also been reading as many Star Trek books as I could get my hands on for the past year because the real world is very stressful and Star Trek is this idealized best case scenario Of what humans could be if we reached for the stars and we focused on not just on technological advances, although that is a huge, huge cornerstone. But if we focused on technological advances, knowledge for knowledge's sake, and tolerance. Yes. And curiosity. Yes. And if we could embrace the other. If we could embrace the other within ourselves, our own cultures, our own planet, and then could go out into the stars seeking to make first contact and to understand other races and other species and other everything. And that's Star Trek. Star Trek is shiny. The spaceships are clean and white, like White Silver. metal, silvery, gorgeous, like, okay, it's so not so much in the original series because they didn't have a lot of money, but we've, many of you have seen the J.J. Abrams, and I, that is a beautiful spaceship. Say what you will about the plot. I don't blame you. But that vision of the Enterprise is glitzy. It's, it's, it's this glorious technological arc in space. Yes. Yes. Um, And it's so clean and it's a post-scarcity society and it is about cooperation and the Federation is what the UN could be if the UN worked better. And it's all of these human hopes and dreams and aspirations given form. And it's wonderful. It is a wonderful, wonderful dream that I think we should be reaching for as a species But we all know this is not how people work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is
1: why I love Babylon 5. Because Babylon 5, I think, is the reality of what would happen when humans finally achieve that kind of space travel. Yeah, Where we have wars by accident with other cultures and we learn from them. And we reach out into the stars and we try diplomacy and we're all about let's get let's learn about other cultures and other races and other things. But there's still conflict. There's and there's still, still
0: conflict on Earth
1: and there's conflict on Earth. There's conflict amongst different species. Not that there isn't conflict among different species in Star Trek. There is. The Romulans are always doing some shit. The yeah. Klingons are always having things happen within their own empire that they don't want to talk about because Klingons don't talk about things.
0: They need therapy, but they don't do it. So.
1: <laughs> but, you know, there's, but at the 10th hour, like, usually in Star Trek, at the at the 11th hour or the 10th hour, because sometimes Kirk fixes it a little early, you know? Yeah. Um, or Picard fixes it, or Cisco fixes it, or Janeway
0: sadly, is still trapped in space. Um because <laughs> she's awesome, but yeah.
1: She's but usually, she's wandering around in
0: that other quadrant.
1: Usually things work, and then in Babylon 5, you have you know the council of all the races on the space station, and they yell at each other.
0: Oh man, they have they have like they have almost knockdown dragouts and in fact there's one species called the drazi who have fights with each other cyclically they they literally buy lots separate their whole species like on board a space station in a colony on their home planet in in you know transit on a starship whatever They all separate themselves into two camps by lot. One of them is purple and one of them is green. And they figure this out by just taking a sash out of a bucket. And if it's green, you're part of the green camp. And if it's purple, you're part of the purple camp. And they don't, they fight it out to figure out which group is going to be in charge for the next however many years. And fights break out, and it seems really, really stupid to, you know, everybody else around who's kind of like, why are you fighting? And they're like green or purple. And that sounds really dumb, but, you know, if you think about it, and and if you look at it, humans are about that dopey sometimes. Yeah. We really are. We're not that special. And... uh so there, there's there's all of this conflict. And, and on the space station, Babylon 5, it isn't a post-scarcity world. No. It should be. It should be. But it's not because uh, humans still use capitalism. And humans as, are humans. As part of their ideal of how to run things. And so you have these people on the space station who live in a... Con- Uh, An area called down below, which is kind of like the hull of a sailing ship. It's kind of like down in the bilge which is where you put rocks and water to keep the boat upright or ship upright. That's the whole point of it. So this is where they have all of the stuff that makes the, the ship run or makes the space station run. Right. So you got, you know, steam and things and it's, it's grubby and crappy. Nobody goes down there. There are rats because where people are, there are rats. I'm just saying. Yes. Which is something that I appreciate
1: about Babylon five. Because there are and no what- rats in Star Trek. And I'm like, oh, there would be rats. There are I, rats in, in Bejold. Well, they're yes. hamsters and gerbils that escape on a terraformed world that live in the tubes in the sewers because people brought them as pets. Yeah. <laughs> and they escaped.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but there's rats, there's bugs, and there are people living down there, not in apartments, but kind of on the internal streets the the hallways they're homeless people and there are alien races who look at that I mean there are aliens and humans both down there but there are alien races who look at that and go okay you humans are like all like hey we're great we're nice and we're, what's with this why are these people down here starving and turning to crime and killing people to make money to eat what's what's going on and that's a good question isn't it so as Morgana says it is the reality it is and actually J. Michael Straczynski who uh, came up with Babylon 5 he's the creator and he also was the main writer Um, he's telling a, a, a story arc that you know it was the first one before the X-Files. It was one of the first series that had a story arc that, that went through, you know, from first episode to last while also having some standalone episodes sprinkled in. And it's a really epic story. But one of the things that he really wanted to show is the struggle to get to where Star Trek is. Star Trek was too shiny. Yeah, he knew that humans—it's going to be messy. Now, in all fairness, in the canon of Star Trek world or Star Trek universe, there is a really messy period. Yes, there's the Atomic Horror Age. There's World War III, and then there's the Eugenics Wars. We don't see those though. Uh, Somehow Barry-
1: magically humans pull together after
0: that and go, no more, we can't do this anymore or we're all going to die. And interestingly, um, Roddenberry refers to that also, that period of time in the, in the uh, Vulcans as well. Yes. The Vulcans don't turn out to be um, logical and rational and super, super cool and technologically amazing. Amazing. Until they nearly blow each other up, yes. and destroy the the entire planet, and and destroy themselves as a race. So Which, he makes reference, but he doesn't show it. Straczynski shows it, and it it in a way it makes it more easy for us to relate to it. Yes, because we see ourselves in it a little bit more easily. Also, Babylon Five is so prescient. You know, it it came out in the 90s and there are so many things, so many storylines that in the future that we are now living in are recognizable. And to the point where in a lot of ways, I kind of wonder if Straczynski was, you know, seeing the future or if it just was that easy to extrapolate or he's just that good of, a writer that he looked at the the present in the 1990s and then extrapolated what could come next and what would come next yeah so or if he it, was it's, just an
1: excellent writer who knew there were timeless themes well there's that, that yeah. humans were very likely to continue to strike
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, because, because we I do th- things cyclically, we humans. Yeah. And
1: he he really did understand human behavior. Um so for for I think for um these three sci-fi series, how the other is conceptualized in each of them. In Bejold it's the other from within. Mm-hmm. And how to define humanity. Yes. When humanity itself is changing so much. With Star Trek, the other is... the Humanity no longer views other humans as the other. Mm-hmm. Which is the whole point of having Chekhov on the bridge. And Horror oh, on 1960s. the bridge. And Sulu on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Originally the Gene Roddenberry had a first officer who was a woman and Spock was the science officer and uh, NBC was like, Oh no, 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 no. We cannot have this. No, 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 no. You need to get rid of the dame. Literally. That's what the executive said. Need to get rid of that woman. And you need to get rid of that pointy-eared, devil-looking guy. And he was like, damn it. <laughs> he, he turned into Dr. McCoy. And said, damn it, Jim. So he said, okay, fine. We, we will compromise. I will take that extreme competence and logic from the female first officer and send it over to Spock. And I'm going to keep him. And he's going to be the science officer and first officer. And we're going to have a communications officer on the bridge. Who's a woman. And I'm going to take the actress who played the first officer and make her into nurse chapel. Uh, because she's my wife and I can't fire her. And <laughs> she's a really good actress by the way. And I don't want to fire her. So I'm going to put her in there and she's going to fall in love with Spock. And that's what we're going to do. And so when he redid the pilot, and they saw that that Mr. Spock guy was still running around with his satanic ears and was being all logical like the the woman was they were like oh you got rid of the woman and he's like that's as far as I'll go if you want the show you got the pointy-eared guy and that's just how it's going to be because that's the point of the show and then there was a point where they were like what about this black woman and he's like nope she stays sorry <laughs> and so that was the whole point we had a russian because, of course, at that time, uh, it, was, it was Cold War era. We didn't trust the Russians. We had a Japanese person. We just came came off of World War II. So having a Japanese person was a big deal. And we had an alien. And we had a Southern doctor. And everybody got along. More or less. less. Yeah. I mean, everybody teases course. Spock. But more or less, everybody Especially got along. Especially the Southern
1: doctor. But that's, that's the other in Star Trek is humanity has accepted their differences pretty much. And now it's about how do we accept the alien other? How do we interact with the external other? Which with a species as human as humanity, um... You would not expect that to go well, really. Uh and it does the majority of the time. We have our issues, you know. And there is, poor Kirk has to monologue about humanity's
0: issues a lot. Yeah. He and does. so does poor Picard. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's because... like that's almost a hundred years later, and he's still monologuing about that. <laughs>
1: But particularly, I feel like there's a lot more we have to blow something up in the original series. Oh yeah, <laughs> and a lot yeah. less we have to blow
0: something up in next gen. That's true, and that was that was again that was Gene Roddenberry. Um, he really he was like, okay, so when I did it the first time, we blew up too many things, and it. <sighs> We have this this you know prime directive that we're not supposed to monkey about with other cultures, but you know Kirk is monkeying about with the cultures all the damn time. Yes, so he tightens it up in the in the second. He tightens Starfleet regulations. <laughs> he, t- he tightens them in. You know, and he the problem though <coughs> is in the beginning of Next Generation, it, it was so perfect and sanitary and and clean and shiny. I hated it. I I will cop to this. I feel so bad. But the very first um, season just turned me off on Next Gen. And I didn't watch it for like 10 years. I I watched it in rerun. And then realized, okay, okay, okay. It does get better. It gets way better. It gets amazingly better. Kirk's still my captain, though.
1: Well, I, yes. I, I kind of like his pr- I impetuousness. I love Picard, too. But, but I... I love Picard. I am very fond of part of why I love Captain Kirk is because the Captain Kirk in the books where you get to see his
0: internal state is way cooler. He's much better in the books. (laughs) Yeah, because I've had that argument with people. It's like Picard is a better captain. And I'm like, well, if you just look at the televised, yes. But if you actually read the novels, Kirk is way cooler than he got to be portrayed in the original series. And you get some of that. In um, in the J.J. Abrams, yes, he's he's a lot more interesting, um, believable, and hey, I'm not talking I'm not talking trash about William Shatner. And a large part, it was how it was written, and yeah, he his his diction is a little bit weird sometimes. We, the people, you know. Okay, okay, I I will. i will cop to william shatner sometimes was a little bit overacty, but it, a lot of it was it had to do with how kirk was written
1: he yeah. was just
0: how he was written um so now everybody is like oh my god you've talked about star trek too much but when it comes to the other and babylon 5 there's all kinds of you think, well, it's just the same as Star Trek, right? No. <laughs> no, because humans all. aren't over their shit with other yep. humans. Yep. At all. <laughs> That's a big part of the plot. That's a <laughs> huge part of the plot.
1: We have no chill in Bab Five, okay? There is zero chill.
0: There's a little chill, but not much. Okay. It, it, we're we're There's... mostly
1: we're mostly like
0: we are now.
1: Yes, but, but with more, we're more advanced, and it's not that there's a lot less less cultural strife between yeah. different humans
0: until we get to the Mars colony,
1: and then there's a problem because the first couple there's problems with the lunar colony too.
0: Yeah, but, because. But-
1: the colony worlds of earth have a lot of self-determination and they think they should have all of it and earth doesn't
0: earth wants to hold on and there's a a large chunk of that has to do a large chunk of that overarching plot has to do with mars colony mhm and then so so the the then humans the are telepaths. having issues that was the next thing I was going to point out. So there are telepaths in Babylon 5 that are human. they are telepaths in all the races. except Several of them. Ex- well, most of the big races, there are yeah. telepaths. But humans have a big old hunk of them, like lots of them. And they sort of erupted into existence kind of like uh, the X-Men, kind of like the mutants did. They, they just sort of... They'd always been there in a in a little thread of history. there'd always been uh, some some psychics and telepaths. But it really ramped up around i I, I think it was supposedly the twenty first century. So around now, we started having lots more telepaths happening. And what happened? What do you think would happen if there were people who could read your mind?
1: People freaked out. People freaked out and gulags. And they have to be controlled. And they are a danger. They're too different. And the way people choose to handle telepaths in Babylon 5 is they're all registered. They are taken to boarding schools. They are all forced to join the Psy Corps when they're adults. And if you don't want to go... You have to take drugs that suppress your telepathic abilities. And that's it.
0: Those are your and it, choices. And and those drugs also take away your personality. It's kind of like the old uh, antipsychotics, the very first ones that they started using in the 50s that basically made you into a, you know, wandering around vegetable. They essentially lobotomize you, which is horrible and terrible. But if you think about it, that's what humans would do. Because large the numbers idea, of them. Yes. Because there's, there's a whole whole idea that they can read your mind. You can't keep anything secret. They could know your secrets and then use them against you. There would be no way to keep state secrets top secret. So that's dangerous. They could sell it to the aliens. Oh my God. So it's kind of understandable, but it's at the same time so distasteful. And when you see that prejudice at work. In that, in that series, in that story, it's really icky. It's they literally have to wear badges
1: and gloves to be constantly identified as telepaths by law. Yes. So people can avoid so the, them. Yeah, so people can avoid them. But they're also used in commerce. They're used in diplomacy. They're used in war. They're used by the government. They're used by the private sector because, my God, wouldn't having a telepath at your business deal come in really handy? And
0: it does. It does. And they're called commercial telepaths when they work for businesses. And then they're the ones who work for EarthGov, who work for the United Government of Earth. And they're in the PsyCorp. And uh, then there are the people in the PsyCorp who are PsyCops who go after the unregistered telepaths who try to keep their heads down and get out of Earth's sphere of influence and go somewhere where they can just be free. Um, and the psychops are horrifying. Uh, just And who-
1: interestingly, the main Psycop that we interact with, Buster, is played by the same man who played Chekhov in the original series. And he's awesome at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, He is Walter Koenig does an amazing job as as both, you know, Chekhov and Bester. And they are completely different um, because Chekhov, you just always kind of wanted to pat on the head and go, oh, yeah, you want to hang out with
1: Chekhov and maybe get into a like small tussle at a bar. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what you want to do with Chekhov, but Bester, you you see him coming and you just want to go out of the room and go hide under your bed and get the hell away from him because he's creepy and all of his people that he works with, who you know are his sort of lieutenants, also creepy, don't want to have anything to do with any of them. Um, so that's that's one of the other others, but there's also other others in in Babylon 5, you end up having these two species who are extremely advanced. Like, so far advanced from humans that... And all the other
1: races of the
0: galaxy. Yeah. Even more advanced than than the Minbari. Which, by the way, the Minbari were the other, sort of, right before the series starts. Because we had a war with them. Humans and the Minbari had a war. And the Minbari are kind of like... Uh, Straczynski's idea of Vulcans. Sort of. Sort of. In a really they, weird they, way. They're, it's because Vulcans are kind of the main uh, race in Star Trek that is human allied. Yeah. The Minbari end that. up being the main alien race that's human allied in Babylon 5. So it's kind of, they're kind of like those, those sister races Does that make to the Centauri, the Ferengi? I like the Centauri better, but yes. Yes, it it would. Um so, you know, you have the Minbari and they are more advanced than humans, just like the Vulcans are more advanced from the humans technologically and culturally. But they are very different from the Vulcans because they aren't just purely logical and rational. They they have a completely different mindset and there had been a war between the humans and the Minbari and part of the story arc is explaining how that war happened and what happened that ended the war because it ended weirdly um, but there at the beginning of the story Minbari were still looked at in kind of a we-don't-really-trust-you kind of way And by humans.
1: Because it had
0: been so recent.
1: Honestly, the Mimbari don't really really trust trust humans humans either. Because we shot
0: first. And and that war was started by a big misunderstanding from two different cultures who had different ways of expressing a very simple concept. Which was uh, respect. Yes. So, we screwed that up. But, but Minbari ended it once they got a piece of information at the last battle. And then they were like, well, stop. We're done now. And, and for the longest time, they didn't explain it to humans as to what that piece of information was. And it comes out in the overarching story. And if you haven't seen Babylon 5, I'm not going to tell you that because that's kind of a big spoiler. So I'm going to try to be cool and not do that. But, so we have the the Minbari as others, just like the Vulcans or others, but they're kind of our others, you know they' they're they're quote unquote human by extension. like we've yeah. put our arms around them and we're like, okay, we're we're cool with you. We're cool with you.
1: We are also cool with the Centauri and the Narn and the League of Non-aligned worlds, which. I love the difference between the Federation from Star Trek.
0: Everybody agrees with everything. Well, and when they don't,
1: it's like usually the it's Klingons. very
0: well. It's and it's very well worded. It's so calmly worded. Everybody's so nice. And then so nice?
1: you have the Council at Bab 5, which is the five main races: it's human, Membari, Narn, Centauri, and Vorlon and then you have the league of non-aligned worlds and everybody yells at each other all the time
0: like all the time it's way more like the league of nations and the united nations on their worst days like when when things are just going really shitty it's like that and it's amazing it's it's great storytelling and it it it's amazing and i love watching it and the Vorlon, by the way, are one of those two really super advanced beings, um, uh, alien races. They have living ships. Yeah, like they, that they have, level of advanced they have biotechnology. Um, they have to live in encounter suits so they can move amongst the other races. Well, that's what they say anyway. Actually, it's to keep themselves hidden. That's fine, whatever. But what happens is, is that race and the Shadows, who are really creepy, um, they essentially start a war with each other. They've been at Cold War with each other for millennium, and they've basically been using the other species as proxies because they're trying to impose their own worldview on the universe, or at least that galaxy. Right, so they're fighting over a galaxy, and the Vorlons believe in law and order, and um, rationality, and cooperation. But it's kind of cooperation at the point of a gun. At the end, you know, it's kind of like, well, you will cooperate, and it's okay. Whereas the Shadow believe in strength and war and conflict and chaos as a means to create the strongest races in a galaxy and that's good so you have these two warring factions that then it becomes a hot war and they manipulate the smaller younger races all through the story and they to my mind are the most obvious representations of what we in the paranormal world call the other
1: yeah I mean when you do finally get to see a vorlon they look like angels. And yeah. if you, when you see shadows they're very they're
0: demonic very, looking.
1: They're they're <laughs> insectile alien demonic looking thingies. They and their world is called Zahadum. Like okay, again, nice little crossover of fantasy and Tolkien there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because Straczynski um, grabs like Arthurian Mythos and at one Tolkien, point King Arthur actually shows up. And all kinds of stuff, all of this, all of these things get get put into the stew and it comes out. It sounds tacky and horrible. It's not. It's really cool. Um, and it comes out really great. But I think even more so than Star Trek, where we deal with the other as different alien races, I think that Babylon five is more like how we in the, in the paranormal community, look at the other as these powerful consciousnesses that are very alien to humans. They can change their shape. They can change our perception. They disappear. They are psychic They appear and disappear, kind of at will. Um, There are beings in Star Trek that are sort of like that. I'm about to bring up Q
1: as the space fairy. Yeah, yeah. Q Q is is,
0: yes, and and that's or trickster god, one or the other, or both. Yeah. So he's very like the other. And then there's there's uh, the Squire of Gothos in the original series, and Trelane. That's what I meant. That's Trilane. right. Trilane. Sorry, Trelane is kind of like a baby Q, as far as I'm concerned. Um, he might I, have I actually, been. Wasn't Trelaine
1: the one? Was Trelane the one who was actually a child?
0: Yes, who was playing with him? Yes. he probably was a baby Q. He he created an entire um, small realm on this planet that was inimical, inimical. It was it was not good for human life. It was not a class M planet. It, it was all lava and crap. But he created a little oasis on it, and the enterprise found it. And yet there was a Class M human okay area, and you know, like a bunch of dingleberries, they <laughs> they beam down. I wouldn't trust that crap, but hey, that's where Kirk is getting he's getting his kirk on, and he's like, Yeah, we're gonna go there. And there's this sh- seemingly human person there, and uh, he 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 plays with them. He plays games with them. He had been watching human uh, interactions through subspace uh, radio essentially and and was like, "I like humans, so i I dragged you, you know, i i I enticed you here, and we're gonna play now, and it's gonna be fun. And he basically could change energy into matter and back and forth. He could manipulate things into physical being and then out of physical being. That sounds a lot like the other, yeah. But he wasn't in there. For, he was like one episode was him, and then there are other creatures in original seer in the original series that acted kind of like what we think of as the other. There was the energy creature in the day of the dove that Mm -hmm. fed off of emotional energy. And all it was was sparkly lights that floated around. It manifested as that when it manifested and it would poke at people to get them angry at each other. And so that they would start arguments and then physical fights. And then it would feed off of the energy of the anger and the rage and the hatred and the fear. And
1: there's a fear eater. In Wolf in the Fold.
0: Who yes.
1: framed Scotty for murder. And was an ancient fear eater entity. That was also just a cloud of sparkly gas. Yes. Um, that was so old it was also Jack the Ripper at one point.
0: Yeah, that episode was written by Robert Block, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so there you have small versions of uh what we think of as the other sprinkled all through Star Trek and then you get the returning other in the queue in next generation and in, in the later um other um iterations of Star Trek. But yes. it's it's very different from Babylon 5 where you end up with these two races who look and sound like the other To the point where eventually you find out later that they kind of were our other all through history messing with us as demons and angels or however we saw them and trying to manipulate us as well as other younger races. And so that's really interesting how then those others develop how humans relate to them how they are a part of our um, evolution or not. And how we throw off the yoke in in Babylon five, particularly how we throw off the yoke of dealing with the other. Yeah.
1: Which we do eventually basically say,
0: go away. Let us stand on our own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, That is the one big problem with with Babylon 5 is he actually set up the story for five seasons and near the end of the fourth season, um, he hadn't known if it was going to be renewed for that fifth season. And so he just kind of hurried it up just in case they got canceled. And so that ending, you know, once it happens, you're kind of like, wait, is that it? Is that all we needed to freaking do?
1: Then they go, then I think he does a good job and he goes into the question of the
0: internal other of the telepaths. Exactly. And he also deals with the alien others. Yes. Where because it's not like the big others go away and all conflict and the galaxy is fine now. Nope. Nope. Humans are still mad at the humans that are on the Babylon station. Not happy. Very bad. There was a war. It was not, not 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 nice, not good, very bad. Um, and there is the creation not of the alliance of non-allied worlds. You actually get the intergalactic alliance where humans and aliens, including the Narn and the, the Centauri who've hated each other since forever because they've been at war because... The Centauri
1: enslaved the Narns and were total dicks.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it was a colonization issue. It it was like Manifest Destiny with big hair. It was bad. It was really, really bad. So, yeah, it's kind of like the Native Americans and the Europeans and mm -mm -mm went just as well as you would expect. Except the Narn ended up having some advanced weaponry, so it didn't go exactly as it went in our 18th and 19th and 20th centuries. So, um, but eventually all of those races come together to create sort of like the Federation. I like to So we think, get to see it come together. I like to think,
1: and I know that with Enterprise, you do get to see the beginning of the Federation. So I now my, before Enterprise was made, this was my favorite pet theory, was Babylon 5. Is how that started, and Star Trek is where that ends.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a really good way to look at it. Is um, that you get to see it? Yeah, yeah, and and you somehow manage to, you know, miss a truly horrible World War Three. You, yeah, you get you, you can skip around that. See, so you, <laughs> you go from Babylon Five into Star Trek, and it's it's way cool. Um, with Enterprise, of
1: course, you don't this theory no longer holds up because we get to see this, and interestingly, with Enterprise, which is one of the newer Star Trek series, um you see the Vulcans and humans interacting when they don't like each other, oh yeah,
0: at yeah. all it's it's very like the minbarian humans. It's like, well, we're working together. <laughs> but I still don't trust you. You got bones on your head, like sticking out. It's not normal. Well, I don't trust you because you're human and you're weird, and, and you're not ready. The and Vulcans you're not ready.
1: Are like you're too emotional. You're too quick to action, you don't think, you are volatile, you are warlike by nature, you are conflict oriented like, why are we ha- letting you gain warp travel? Uh, uh, that's
0: The reason we're putting up with that bullshit is because we're making you take us with you. So we're gonna watch over you and make sure you don't screw anything up. So the, the Vulcans come across as basically big ol' control freaks. Yep, which is fine because I can totally see that. Um I actually kind of like it when Vulcans are not perfect. Like Well,
1: and you see plenty of That's why I love the books because with the exception of you know the original series and Enterprise, you don't actually get a Vulcan for like seasons. You oh, get yeah. glimpses of Vulcans. Yeah. And then, you know, you have the books where I think my favorite um just ex- the, my favorite two books that ex- that give you a really good glimpse into Vulcan psychology is The Vulcan Academy Murders followed by The IDIC Epidemic. Um because it's just great. One, you get to hang out with Sarek, Spock's dad, a lot. Um, and I th- I love Sarek because he is a Vulcan with a sense of humor. Yes. Um and Spock's mom Amanda is awesome. And yeah, she's you,
0: she's super cool.
1: You don't get to see enough of them in the original series. And she no. dies in JJ J. Abrams thing, and I'm just like Screw um, you, JJ. J.
0: No. <laughs> Screw you, no. I mean, it's cool that you picked Winona Ryder, but she didn't get to do anything. So, (laughs) Um, and part of why I love
1: those books is the concept of IDIC is infinite diversity and infinite combinations, which is one of the is a central Vulcan philosophy. To the other, yes, which is basically tolerance. Like the universe is made up of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So we should celebrate that because that is the foundational existence of reality. Yes. Life would, is diverse. Why would you be a dick
0: to yeah, other see, anything? And that is the central um that's the central explication that Gene Roddenberry gave as to why he created Star Trek. He says, Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. So that was kind of his whole central idea, was that infinite diversity and infinite combinations is going to be what leads us, leads us as a species, as humanity towards the stars and towards other forms of life. So that's why IDIC is so, so very important in, in the Star Trek universe. It's not just for Vulcans, it's for everybody. And that's why, you know, it's so strong. Another a uh, book that is is really cool for Vulcans and really explicates Vulcan culture and uh, personality is Spock's World by Diane Duane because that one goes all the way back in Vulcan prehistory. It is an excellent book, and it it has you know chapters that are set. All through Vulcan history. So you get to see them when they're warlike and scary and creepy. And they're scary. And you get to see them when they're hunter-gatherers and scary. And you get to see them when they decide, hey, you know, we're touch telepaths, but that's not good enough. Um, Let's see if we can breed new telepathic abilities, including the ability to kill from afar with a thought. That's a good idea, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. So they come up with that, and that's scary. And then, you know, finally we meet Serac, the Vulcan who came up with this whole idea of logic being a means to control the very strong, passionate emotions of the Vulcans to keep them from killing each other. Because that's basically what Vulcans did
1: for thousands of years, is kill each other over water and resources. And because it was fun and for honor and that yeah they're just they were very
0: violent (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's part of why i think they you know part they form this dyad in the star trek universe with humans because they see humans as being them younger and they have kind of a bigger brother Not big brother like 1984, but sort of like an older sibling feel. It's like, we see those those humans as we were. And we didn't really have anybody to help us along. And maybe it would behoove us to help them along. And that's kind of what the whole conceit of Spock's world is. There's a referendum on the planet Vulcan about leaving the Federation. Even though they were, you know, the main race that started the federation, and so they have this big debate that's that's uh, televised all over the the planet, and then everybody votes. When the a whole certain planet. Number, yeah, that when a certain number of people who've been watching the debates and participating in them decide that this has gone on long enough, we've decided that's when it stops and the voting begins. Great story. Um. And, and
1: interestingly, why they're thinking about leaving the Federation is because some Vulcans think that there's too much off-world influence happening. Yes. So even the Vulcans are not freed
0: from fears of the other. hmm Absolutely. And again, the Vulcans are psychic. So there is a reason that humans are fearful of them because most humans in the Star Trek world are not psychic. That th- there are individuals, but it's not like Babylon Five where you have a whole passel of uh, telepaths floating around. There's like and f- five, yeah, <laughs> five six something like that. And so that that's really fascinating to me. And also a a thing about the Vulcans that's revealed in that book that I really like. Is they always have an understanding of the other. That's what they call, quote unquote, God. Yes. They call it the other. And all Vulcans have the innate ability to feel the other at all times. Like they know that there is a greater consciousness than them, there is a greater consciousness that exists in all of the universe. And it's always there, and they can feel it all the time. So they don't have any of this, is religion real? They they know that there's a consciousness out there that's bigger than them. They know it's there. And that's really, really cool. And it explains also part of why Surak was able to, you know, let's try some logic here, y'all. <laughs> let's stop killing each other. Let's feel that other and work with that, and move forward. Let's stop with this, you know, nonsense killing each other stuff because it's it's not doing any good. Um, and then you have the I Romulans. Th- Who's oh, off. See? yes, you have they, the Romulans. They were like, Sirak, off. you suck." No,
1: <laughs> and they leave, and they become the Romulans, and they have an intense connection with the elements, which, which is like. The other, other. which is the the form of the other in motion
0: in the universe, basically. And interestingly, the people who struck off to become the the Romulans tended not to have as many psychic abilities as the Vulcans did. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have the same development of touch telepathy, and they didn't have as much of that gift. It's very sporadic among them. And it's not as controlled um, because a lot of the the disciplines that came about to control it came after Surrac. So, boy, we're nerding real hard here, y'all. I'm 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 not sorry. It's cool, Um, (laughs) but uh, I'm not going to apologize for my nerdery here. (laughs) Uh, So you have all of this richness about how to deal with the other. You have races that know the other is there for their entire life. Vulcans know, they feel it, it's there. Um, You have life forms that are non-corporeal who can move matter, change it to energy, change it to matter again, back and forth over around and through and you have non-corporeal energy beings that vampirically or in a parasitic fashion steal energy from humans and other sentient beings to feed on. That that sounds really like you know a lot of stuff that we deal with here mm-hmm. in the real world. And it, it gives you It gives you ideas for how to deal with what we call the other in our lives. And I think that that explication from science fiction is very, very worthwhile.
1: Yeah, because just like any work of fiction, it carries your imagination forward. Um, I feel like I should just be like imagination because I say it so many times, like during our book nerd chats. Um, also, and I just remembered this, and this is about Bab Five. There is an episode based around the Greys in Bab Five, <laughs> which is hilarious and
0: amazing, and and really, it's not a joke. Oh, and they're called the Stribe, which is just amazing. And yeah, it's spelled like the first part of Whitley Strieber's. Um. Name. Strive. Um
1: And the way you get away from them is you work together with the other people who are kidnapped by them to beat them over the head
0: <laughs> and escape. Yes. Even though <coughs> the people that they kidnapped are aliens to you, it doesn't matter. You all work together and you get away from them. Uh, and, and, and again, Babylon 5, we've got to deal with both the other from without, which is aliens. We have aliens who are so much more powerful than us. We have aliens who are on our level of technological power and intellectual power and some that are a little bit higher and some that are a little bit lower, but we all have to work together. We have to accept them or, you know, we get eaten by the, the, um, shadows or the Vorlon in, in the middle of their conflict, which goes really, really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we have all of that. And meanwhile, the humans are all fighting with each other while all of that other stuff is going on <laughs> because, wow, isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah. And then we have Bejold where it's
1: all the internal other.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and we have humans arguing with humans except there is a, a reason to say, are they actually humans anymore? Some and of them on Barriar, because they
1: were cut off for so long, mutations arose.
0: And the way that just keep talking. It's a dog. The world's not gonna end. Um, <laughs> the way
1: that Barriar had to deal with birth defects and mutations that arose because they were not me. good because of being cut off for so long, was infanticide.
0: Yes. And And
1: the main character who arises in the Bejold books is... He's poisoned in the womb, essentially, and he looks like a mutant because
0: he's disabled. And that's another thing that is very strongly talked about in that series is disability and tolerance for different levels of physical ability. And difference. Um, and differences. Um, because Miles Forkosigan, that's the main character, he may be unable to, you know, run quickly all the time. He may not be able to climb the tallest wall because he he's got brittle bones and he's short and he's had all of these surgeries to kind of try to fix all that mess but it, it didn't fix it all uh but his brain is overclocked like seriously overclocked like he thinks at lightning speed and he has the charisma of like, I don't know, a thousand suns. He's like, he just shines. And he draws people to him. And he's he's always very, he's quick thinking. He's quick witted. He's glib. Like, he has the silver tongue. He can just like talk people into anything. And that's one of his super, super powers. Is he can talk people into anything. He can make people believe things. Because he's not psychic. He's just
1: able he, he's to do only these had for the first i believe 7 years of his life he couldn't walk yeah so all he could do what to exert a lot of control, control over his environment was with his intellect and with his voice
0: and that taught him how to work with people and get people to work together he's a natural born leader and he's and,
1: he's a raised leader for various and sundry reasons, like the fact that his father is the regent of Barriar. Right. <laughs> for various and sundry reasons, including his mother beheaded
0: the pretender to the throne. Not directly. She had her uh her armsmen do it, but doesn't matter. It it still happened. Um and it ended that problem. And
1: You know, barrier on barrier. The question of who's human is how able are you? Mm -hmm. Because if you are useful, if you are able-bodied or able-minded, if you are contributing member of society, then you're human. If you're not, you're
0: not. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of good stuff there for because people will other. People who are differently abled to in we this, do it all in this day and age. We we do. It's it's awful. Um my my dad's sister married a man who had cerebral palsy, and when he was born, you know, the the doctor said to his mother, Oh, he's not gonna live. He's not even gonna be able to grow up. You should just probably put him in an institution and essentially just let him die. He didn't come out and quite say that, but that's what he meant. And she just looked at him like he was crazy and was like, "I've had like three miscarriages, and now I have a living baby." No." And so she tucked him in in her clothes, essentially. she she held him skin to skin, carried him around, and he grew, and he lived. and and then, you know, when he was a little kid, they were like, "Well, you know, he'll never walk while well, he walked." Uh, well, he's not going to be very intelligent. Boy, was he bright. Um, well, he's never going to you know, make it to adulthood. He did. Well, he's not smart enough to go to college. Well, he got a PhD in psychology. And he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And to this day, I get really irritated with people who other people who are quote unquote disabled because my uncle frank said to me yeah i'm disabled you know i I don't walk so good and you know because of you know my voice some people can't understand what i say so i don't talk so good i don't walk so good but i've spent my life helping other people and that's what matters it doesn't matter what i look like he's like you know i your, your aunt thinks I'm handsome. I, I think she's crazy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he said, but, you know, people look at me and, and think, wow, what a mess. And she looks at me and she thinks, wow, I want to marry him. And I said, I want to be like Aunt Judy. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's how I want you to be. You've you got to look inside. You've got to look at the other from the inside as opposed to the outside well that's yeah and he loved science fiction too so i was like well infinite diversity and infinite combination we spoke the same language uh so you know he was like exactly that's exactly what you know roddenberry was on about and you know then we nerded for like three hours and my mom you know came in the room and was like dinner's ready what the hell are you two talking about (laughs) you know and uh he's like star trek and she's like "Ah, of course you know She didn't like Star Trek, but in addition to infinite diversity and infinite combination, I wanted to read you something that comes from Babylon 5 that is their version of infinite diversity and infinite combination, and it's written by one of the main characters. His name was Jakar, and he was a Narn. And he started out as this really bellicose dude. He, he was angry because the, quite rightly, the <laughs> Centauri had just treated his people like crap and committed genocide and blew shit up. And, and, and he was, was terrible. Done. Destroyed his planet, stole all the resources. I mean, you know, all the things that despots do. And he was getting into physical fights with people and, and all kinds of stuff. But eventually, over time, he becomes a mystic. And this is what he wrote as a statement of principles for the new intergalactic um, alliance. The universe speaks in many languages, but only one voice. It speaks in the language of hope. It speaks in the language of trust. It speaks in the language of strength and the language of compassion. It is the language of the heart and the language of the soul, but always it is the same voice. It is the voice of our ancestors speaking through us and the voice of our inheritors waiting to be born. It is the small, still voice that says, we are one, no matter the blood, no matter the skin, no matter the world, we are one. No matter the pain, no matter the darkness, no matter the loss, no matter the fear, we are one. Here, gathered together in common cause, we agree to recognize this singular truth and this singular rule, that we must be kind to one another, because each voice enriches us and ennobles us, and each voice lost diminishes us we are the voice of the universe the soul of creation the fire that will light the way to a better future we are one and this
1: is why i like to think babylon 5 is where star trek comes from
0: in the in the fictional. In my fictional universe. my universe. In your head in canon. My head in canon. Morgana's head canon.
1: Um, and in Bajold's you also see this because Miles' mother spends her entire life protecting children like her son. She mm-hmm. changes laws. She changes culture. She changes everything about this world that she can get her hands on. And she gets her hands on a lot. Yes. Yes. So that Barriar will stop, in her words, eating its children. Yes. Because Uh, she's not
0: from Barriar. Yeah, I was about to say, she was born on Beta Colony, which is kind of like if... um, it was settled by the americans the australians and the, Canadi- the canadians and i think the best and the brightest of them because they're they're pretty pretty open minded thoughtful um progressive like so progressive
1: beyond progressive for example, they accept all forms of love and sexuality just as a matter of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are people who switch gender, like switch genders, very easily. It's perfect. It's normal.
0: They also crea- They also created a bi gender group of people called herms hermaphrodites, but the the shortened version that most people use is herm honorable herm yes honorable herm that's their that's their uh uh preferred pronoun honorable herm um Uh, and this is all she wrote all this way before we had transgender things as a big thing i mean it's not like we haven't had transgender people forever but it's before it became part of human consciousness in the in the popular culture like it, it was talked about. So she was talking about all this stuff like back in the 80s and 90s. Um
1: and beta colony is egalitarian. It is everybody there, I believe there's universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no concept nobody dies. There's no death penalty. They're horrified by this. Their constitution enshrines access to information, access to education, fair and equal access to job opportunities, to just about everything. Um,
0: But at the same time...
1: The only problem with Beta Colony is because it's a desert planet and it can only support so many people. When you become fertile... If you are male or female, if you become capable, once you hit puberty, you are mandated by the government and it is enforced that you have to go on a 100% effective form of birth control,
0: period. That's it. (laughs) And and you have to, you have to. Apply to become a parent, and there are tests that you
1: have to pass, and you have to have a co-parent. It doesn't have to be a husband or a wife or anything. You can co-parent, but they have, have to pass friend, the test too. But you both have to pass the test. You have to prove you can afford a child. You have to prove your house is fit for children. You can only have one. Yep, at a time.
0: Um, it's I kind believe- of an. It's kind of the nanny state. It is. Yes. It is the nanny state in that it 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 is controlling. Okay, it's very free, but it's very controlling. It's weird. It's really cool, but there is a darker underbelly. Which their is, psychology is really interesting too. Yes. The way that they deal with crime is through psychology. And that can get really um, invasive. Yes. So while they may not have capital punishment, which is good, they do have... They reprogram you. Yeah, they reprogram you. Um, Also, their biggest export... Are weapons. They make weapons. And for sell everybody. Them to everybody else, they they, sell them they, they to also else. export medical
1: technology and yeah, okay, they do computer that computer technology and all of this. They're one, and of, the, they're they do one build of the spaceships. They're one of the most technologically advanced worlds in the in the whole galaxy. The only but ones who people... are more advanced genetic genetic engineering genetic engineering wise, is the Setagondans.
0: Yes, and, and they're like they're like uh you know if. We don't like killing each other. That's bad. We don't kill each other. We don't do that. We don't have that. But if y'all want to kill each other, we will sell you some freaking awesome weapons. And some of them are terrifying. And yet they look down at the Barry Arons for some of the weapons they come up with. But theirs are just as bad. So even the quote-unquote good guys are not all good. There's They have blinders on about themselves. but. You know, uh Miles's mom came from those people, fell in love with his father, who was Barriarin, because they met during a war, because you know, why not? That's how that <laughs> these things happen. And she ended up living with him on Barry marrying him, and and so she decided to change Barry Because she was like,
1: How about I bring the good parts of my society here? that yeah. mesh with this society because this society has so much promise and it's not that she thinks she knows better it's just that she's like you could have access to medical care that's still not good here <laughs> like people should be able to have access to medical care There, th- nobody can argue with me that this is a bad thing
0: <laughs> exactly
1: and they they and- largely don't and she's like yeah let's work Isn't on that, that, cool.
0: that let's have some education too while we're at it um. <laughs> and
1: so, you know, on Beta Colony, the question of who's the other is, are you a good member of society? Yes. Like on Barrier, it's are useful. Are you useful? Are you a good warrior? Are you contributing? On Beta, it's are you not a... Are you socially and conceptually, like as a social construct... Almost. Are you a good member of
0: society? Are you? you are know, you furthering society in some way? Art. Do you make art? Do you make music? Do you love your fellow man? I mean, yeah. They, are you they, a good person? Are, you peaceful. More, are, are you, you, you peaceful? Are you a peaceful? Yeah. Are you a
1: peaceful? Do you go along with the rules of society? Do you play by the rules?
0: Yeah yeah the, the the other thing is their space force is purely expeditionary they, yeah, they really don't have and, a military they run around and try and find new worlds they're they're like Star Trek without the military part yeah they they run around trying to find new worlds and seek out new life and figure out how they can spread colonies out that way doing that. And the other thing, which is pretty cool. But again, you know, because they don't get into the whole question of, well, what if there's sentient life because they've never found it in the universe other than humans? Um, They're all excited to one day. (laughs) Yes, but they still haven't found it.
1: Um, Well, the Baryarans aren't. The Baryarans would probably shoot it. The Batons would talk to it. The Setagondins would take a, you know, gene sequence sample.
0: And try to add it to their own. They're kind of like the, you know, the Setagondins are a little bit like the Borg. Yeah, but a lot classier. Way classier. Better looking, smell better probably. But yes, Um, Resistance is Futile is
1: very much something that their military cast would be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because the Setagondan's concept of who is the other is everyone that isn't Setagondan. Yep. Because they're the highest form of humanity and everybody else is just a grubby little ape. Yep. Running around, being grubby, not attractive. And eventually they're going to leisurely stretch out from their complex of nine planets that they've taken over That are in their own star planetary system, um, they're eventually going to leave that nine planet solar system and just casually conquer the universe. Because
0: one day they are, because Because they're better, they're better.
1: But in the meantime, they're just busy still perfecting their own race and letting their military, you know, go out and do some conquering. For economic reasons, and because, well, there are a little too many of them right now, and some of them need to go get killed off. yep. And sometimes the military cast gets a wild hair up their ass because they want to go impress the ruling class, and they go off on them and do their own thing, yep,
0: oh, by the way, the ruling class also make, you know, they have the military class who are really good looking, just not as good looking as the the rulers. Um and if their generals do really well, they get a wife from the ruling class, one of the pretty ones, super pretty ones. And then they make babies and and that's cool. That's and- like a big thing there. But they also create this cast called the Ba. And they're servants. And they have no gender and they cannot reproduce. Actually nobody on Setagonda can reproduce without the say so of the ruling class, the women of the ruling class. But that's beside the point. But they no, have these. Only, essential the, only the ruling
1: only the ruling class can't reproduce without the say so. The that's right. The GEM the- reproduce like normal. Unless they're
0: married to one of the ruling class. Um,
1: and then that's the end of it, and you only do what we say you're going to do. And nobody marries, really, in the ruling class exactly. No. You don't actually have to have sex to have babies. They just combine that through IVF into a uterine replicator. Um, and it's all about what's the best cross crosses to get the best genetic results
0: except it's way more complicated than the, yeah. that the, because it, it, so set was, was near as we can figure was, uh, colonized by the Japanese and the French. That's, that's what my theory is. It's never really act actually stated. No, but the, their form of aesthetics is and very their clothing style and their clothing style is very Japanese and and very intellectually french in the in the sort of 18th century french style of thought um and and intellect so but now they're elves so who knows it doesn't really matter yeah they're, they're just, all over 6 feet tall yeah all it's, it's, it's weird them. it's very weird except the bas they're little people yeah. little and little bald
1: the, the bar are the testing grounds for yes. new genomic sequences that have not yet been uptaken by the hote by the oat, which is the ruling class. Because there are Haute, two... as in French. H-A-U-T-E. Because, yeah, H-A-U-T-E. There are two-tiered aristocracy. It's very weird. Also, the Haute have made, particularly, specifically the women of the Haute, have made some of the most terrifying biological weapons ever made by anyone in the galaxy and nobody at all knows all of them. Nobody knows exactly what they have, but some of them melt you.
0: Yeah. It's a really interesting case study as are they still human? Do they think like humans? Do after all that genetic manipulation of not just themselves, but every living form around them, are they still human? Or are they other? And The Barriarans are very clear on this because they tried to take over Barriar and they nuked parts of Barriar. They're like, nah, they ain't human. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 No, they're Setagondan. They are scary people and we don't play with that. And we won
1: that war somehow by superior tactics and being more psycho, essentially. Yeah. They won more by psycho. being more psychotic than the Setagondans. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um That was a good jinx on the uming. Um Right. Uh. <laughs> the satagondans I don't think consider themselves human. I don't I think so. Think they consider themselves satagondan more so than any other race. Except maybe the quaddies because the quaddies consider themselves quaddies yeah um and I think there's something to be said for the two races with the most obvious external genetic, genetic markers of difference yes. Yes. might consider themselves less human than everyone else,
0: yeah, so in that sense, the other humans made themselves into the other kind of like we make each other into the other, yeah. Because there, it's sort of like
1: Bab 5, where there's the normal internal other of people who are different within each society. On mm-hmm. Jackson's Hole, it's if you're not aligned to a house, you don't matter. Yeah. Um, you're, they literally call you a grubber if you're not yeah. aligned to a major or a house major or a house minor. Because there's no planetary government on Jackson's Hole at all. It's just ruled by
0: different families in different it's- economic interests. It's kind of like the Italian city states back before Italy became a a nation. As run by the mafia by by the mafia, yes, by criminal warlords and pirates. Yeah. So take Renaissance Italy and The Godfather and a little bit of piracy. And just sort of squish it together, and that's Jackson's Hole. Yeah, basically. Um, So there, your other... All of the houses are other to each other. But then your other other is the grubbers who live without the protection of a house. Which is really hard to do. Yeah, because
1: very like Florence, if you're employed by a house you know you are somewhat you are under that houses head's protectorate you're part of them because you make you make cosimo de medici silk so cosimo's you- going to at least send one of his clerks to speak up for you in a petty court case okay
0: right Right. But Grubbers don't have any of that. No. They're just and they're, they're just to
1: of by everybody.
0: Yes. And they're and they're just trying to live and get off of Jackson's hole if they can. Because it's but, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. And um, just terrible.
1: And of course, to some extent, all of the planetary governments view each other as sort of other. Mm-hmm because if you can't view another planet as other you can't go to war with them and there is still war
0: yeah in... it seems yeah it seems to be kind of a, a a a sort of pastime like a major part of the pastime amongst all of these colonizing humans going out right. they're seeking out new life right but they also want to argue with each other over what to do about that new life and and new civilizations, and yeah, they, they just, they're somewhere in between Babylon 5 and Star Trek. Yeah, they're, some they're, of the
1: worlds are closer to Star Trek than others, some of the worlds are closer to Mad Max than others, and some of the worlds are Satagonda, and nobody goes over there.
0: Oh yeah, you don't even get invited there. they'll kill you. Yeah, <laughs>
1: you're,
0: you're not it, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're like, not allowed over there. They they have diplomacy and there's a consulate on like every world that's a Setagondan consulate because they're always working to influence the smaller worlds to sort of
0: do their joining
1: diplomatic ties with Setagonda, so Setagonda can have access to new genomic sequences and so Setagonda can have more economic power because Setagonda's kind of quietly,
0: gently. Trying to take over the galaxy. <laughs> yes, yes, and the Baryarans are having none of that, and the Batons don't even like that mess. They don't even like that. They the Barryarins don't like it because fuck you, you invaded
1: us. Yeah, um, and you nuked us. We occasionally, randomly, also try to take over other planets <laughs> for funsies. Just, that's what we do because we're uh, we went through a period of expansionism because when we weren't being expansionist. The Setagondans invaded us. Yeah. And so we had to invade the world that the Setagondans used their wormhole to come get us. We have to hold that because otherwise we don't have a wormhole. And then, hey, look, there's these other places. That would be cool if we have that
0: for resources.
1: And they've calmed down significantly. But everybody in the
0: galaxy kind of looks at the Baryarans as savages. But at the same time, look at Jackson's Hole. That's pretty savage. And look at Sataganda. They're savage. Yeah, everybody. You know? And exactly. the Batons are savage for selling off all these horrific weapons to everybody else to kill each other. Yeah. What? what, what, what,
1: what? Pretty much the only people who are super chill are, like, honestly, the Quaddies. And they have deliberately gone as far away from the rest of space as they could so they can be left alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they are super chill. That's true. And there's all kinds of other smaller wor- colony worlds that have really weird. Kibudani like- has
1: dead dead people vote. Yeah, because yeah. they're all cryogenically frozen. Because eventually they're going to figure out life extension. Them up. They'll they'll figure out how to make it people immortal. So dead people. Are owned by the company that they are frozen by, and that company gets that number of votes in the elections,
0: and that's messed up. And that's that's... messed up. And then there's Athos, which is a colony of all men. Yes, and it's a religiously based culture. That's they're basically Quakers. Yeah, they're they're Christiany Quakery monks sort of but who love each
1: other and right. and settle as husbands which is i think is really cool and like honestly the main character is like such a sweet man he ethan yeah. of athos is a book and he is such a sweet man um he works as um a genetic engineer to help people have babies because you need a genetic engineer on a planet where there's no women <laughs> right um and he goes off to obtain new ovarian tissue right so for female genetic material to keep the population going and it's really sweet and he has a whole adventure and there's a telepath involved there's only one telepath
0: in Piraeus and he ends up on Athos right and of course, there's probably more, but she doesn't write about them. So, um, you know, that's and just for, how that is. For Athos, everybody
1: is the other, and oh my God, women are scary because oh, they've yes. never they've never seen women since they were settled. Like they don't really encounter them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's so many questions. Of the other in in Bujold, but it's never supernatural other, or it's paranormal other. It's technological, it's genetic, it's it's never it's social. honest to God aliens. It's it's other things, but even so, even if it's not what we think of as the paranormal, basically what what I see going on is if we can accept each other as not other, as we can accept the differences in humanity as us, not other, we have made a great step forward. Mm -hmm. In Star Trek, one of the greatest themes is accepting the other as us when it is an alien race when it's biologically different genetically different culturally different so different that maybe it's not even corporeal it's a form of gas so different that it's psychic and we can't understand that but we accept that. And so we take that other and we make it part of us. And that's what the whole Federation is about. Um, In Babylon five, it's the same basic idea, although we're still struggling with the whole othering each other as humans and othering others as aliens. But there is that whole, we're trying to learn to stop othering each other. And in that sense, there's a lot of very supernatural, paranormal forms of other in there because you have these alien life forms that are very different. And then in Bujold, it's all humans, probably, except when you genetically monkey that much, you you may have come into the land of, well, I'm not really sure you're still human. And so then you have to decide are what the humans is over- human? He- exactly. And that is the question of all of those stories where that comes in with the paranormal or with the supernatural is what if they are us? What if the other, what we call the other Is part of our consciousness? What if it is the other side of us? What if it is what happens to us when we die? We become part of that bigger consciousness. Mm -hmm. And then is it other? Or is everything us? Which is an expression of the particular spiritual... Belief system I have, which is monism, which is all consciousness is part of one consciousness. All matter is part of one matter that started with the Big Bang and then expanded outward. So, and
1: maybe before that, because there might have been lots of Big Bangs over and over and over again, and the universe contracts into. One black hole and then it just explodes again. Who knows?
0: Yeah, we don't know. And Star Trek does have a uh, book that's kind of about that. It's called uh, "The Three Minute Universe." Oh no, "The Wounded Sky." Sorry. And it's also by Diane Duane, and that is one of the mind-blowing Star Trek books where basically they have a new type of warp drive that works so well, it just shuts them from our universe into another one. And there is a consciousness there. And that's the only thing that's there that is before the big bang. And they have to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. So that's your homework for today. You should (laughs) should go read that because that is, that is very much sort of the, perfect explication of the other and dualism and monism as I can like explicate other than to say that there it is it's there there it is read it it's a fun story too it is I mean parts of it are silly but it's actually incredibly philosophically deep I I actually just read it I did not know we were going to talk about
1: it today. I just read it recently because I was like, ah, Diana Duane. Boom.
0: Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good story. All right. I, I think we've yeah talked for way longer than we expected we to. We did. And that's just, you know, once you start the nerd, it, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. going. Like, <laughs> it really does. Um, next week we'll have... Uh, couple new episodes coming up that we're recording. So next week it'll be something other than the two of us talking about nerdy stuff. We promise um, Yeah. there's no more nerdery for a little bit. Cause actually I got lots of communication from listeners going nerd. We love the nerdery. Go on, do it, do it, do it. So there's going to be more, but not for a little while. And, yeah. uh, well, thank you for listening to us and hanging out with us. In this very laid-back uh, nerd session, and uh, if you're interested in any other kind of nerdery that you want us to talk about, that we can talk about, yeah, if uh, it's in our wheelhouse, if it's not in our yeah. wheelhouse, oh, like, yeah, I mean, we we could educate ourselves, yeah, and going totally would take a while because but... I love reading new stuff, oh, or, yeah. or watching new stuff, and and we are going to talk about film and music, and we're going to have a guest on that one. And uh, she'll be returning from guesting before. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. It's going to be a surprise. Um, But thank you for listening. Uh, Comment or send an email or whatever to let us know what you'd like to hear. And we'll talk with you later. Ta. Bye-bye.